there. Welcome back to Great Quarter, guys, the show where the lines between freight, finance, and tech are none. He's Anthony Smith, lead economist here at Freightwaves. I'm Andrew Cox, senior retail analyst, and this is episode 84 of Great Quarter, guys. We're going to have an awesome guest named Ramsey Carpio. He is a SVP at PCA Group, which is a one-stop shop for distribution, logistics, marketing for beauty brands. There's a lot going on in the beauty space right now, whether it be shopping shops between Target and Ulta and Sephora and Kohl's, or it be private brands, uh, Target again here, kind of leading the edge with launching private brands, but many retailers are launching their own private brands. So we're going to talk to him about how that's impacting his clients, uh, what it's like right now moving beauty products. He's, I'm, I'm sure, facing many of the same challenges everyone else in the logistics and supply chain industry is facing. If you are joining us live, thanks so much for joining us on Freightwaves TV or LinkedIn. If you're listening on demand, make sure to subscribe to Great Quarter Guys if you like what you hear today, or subscribe to um, Freightcast. Uh, which where you can get everything that FreightWaves puts out on audio in one tight feed. Let me take a moment to thank my sponsor, Emerge. This episode is brought to you by Emerge, the digital freight marketplace. While market volatility is affecting everyone, you need an RFP expert to navigate the uncertainty. Industry expertise and technology for your RFP event, now and in the future, emerge from the confusion by visiting get.emergemarket.com slash gqg. Again, that's get.emergemarket.com slash gqg. All right, we've only got one chart of the day for you, so I will run forward with this and go ahead and toss it up. This is the inbound tender volume index to the state of Louisiana. So I wanted to see if, if there was any one chart that I could bring up to already start showing a little bit of the impact of Hurricane Ida on, uh, on the freight markets. And this is kind of where I'm getting. We're, we're still at a day lag here, and I think we're going to see this number push higher as relief efforts really ramp up. This is more of the kind of pre-positioning that FEMA did and, and some of the companies that were uh, Lowe's and Home Depot as well, pre-positioning supplies to help out with that effort. But you're going to see that, that volume really spike here in the next couple of weeks as we see uh, more and more carriers pushing into that uh, pushing into that Louisiana and Mississippi area for relief efforts. Hurricane Ida was a Category 4 at landfall. Uh, it's going to be a multi-month-long uh, repair process there. There's a couple articles on FreightWaves.com worth staying on top of this on how it's going to impact and how it already is impacting the freight market. There was one interesting article that Craig Fuller, our CEO, actually wrote um, over the weekend, and he kind of questioned whether or not carriers would actually chase these FEMA loads. And I found the article really interesting. He spoke to a couple kind of large carrier executives, and they said that I think they're, they were much less likely to chase these FEMA loads than they would have been in previous cycles because a couple of reasons. One, uh, they've already gotten two to three, sometimes even four rate increases over the past 12 months from their shippers. And, and with those rate increases come higher demands, uh, more expectations for service. And it, they're not going to be as likely to just drop their, their new contracts with these, with these shippers to go chase these high-paying FEMA loads. So I, I find this interesting. Some of those carrier executives were actually thinking that it may be FEMA who's struggling to find the capacity uh, rather than the opposite like it normally is. Yeah, I mean, every single event that happens in the freight world, even though I've been here for some time, it's like I learned so much more information. There's so much going on out there. One of the most knowledgeable people, of course, we have the market expert team in their market, true market experts, Donnie Gilbert. He's been through disaster relief time and time again. If you haven't checked out anything that he's put out or any of his updates or segments, give it a look because he is always putting out information and dropping gems like fuel filters being a thing that a lot of these drivers should carry on with them because the military grade uh, diesel will clean out their engines and gunk up their fuel filters. So there's just so much going on, so much to learn. Like you said, Craig Fuller put out a great article 
Donnie Gilbert is another guy that's going to be filled with a lot of knowledge. Zach Strickland, the list goes on. Yeah, true freight guys. True you know, freight guys, <laughs> have, sure. have moved the FEMA loads, uh, been involved with these hurricane relief efforts in the past. One thing that, uh, last thing I'll note here, just on Hurricane Ida, this is just another one of those body blows, right? We knew, we knew that there was a big chance for this, just given everything that's happened over the past 18 months. We just had a feeling there would be at least one bad hurricane, but this is a market that is, you know, we, we've talked about the whatever analogy you want to use, the, the guy walking across the balance beam without the, without the, um, without the balance, without a safety net. It doesn't yeah. take much to blow them off, and it has a long-lasting uh, long and deep impact to capacity. Uh, you know, so we're looking at a multi-month-long recovery where there's going to be capacity sucked out of the southeast market to uh, Louisiana, Mississippi. So it's going to have an impact. Stay tuned to Freight Waves constantly for updates. All right, one thing on a congestion check before we bring in Ransley. So uh, last time we were here, last Tuesday, we had just then broken the record for most container ships at port in the San Pedro Bay outside of the port of LA and Long Beach. That has been broken a few times since then. Uh, as of yesterday, no, I'm sorry, as of uh, the 27th, we had four new shipping records. There were 75 container ships in port. That was three more than the previous Friday. Um, and that was one less than the overall um, overall um, record, excuse me, 76, but 46 ships at anchor. Last time we were talking, we were at 40. So uh, 46 ships at anchor. It's just getting worse out there in the San Pedro Bay. Uh, there's nonstop freight coming in. And I'm sure our next guest, Ransley Carpio, has been dealing with uh, the Port of LA uh, congestion and everything else going on in the supply chain. Ransley, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, happy to be here, guys. Thank you for having me. So, Ransley, this is your uh, FreightWaves TV debut, so it's customary to give a little background on yourself and tell us a little bit about PCA Group. Sure, happy to. Uh, I'm a senior vice president running strategy and new business development for the company, part of the executive committee. Um, PCA Group is a family-owned beauty distribution platform out in Long Island, New York. Uh, it's about 35 years old, a half a billion dollars in revenue. Uh, we manage anything from global logistics to actual point-of-sale distribution. Um, we have approximately 1,500 people across six offices uh, globally, fully integrated teams. Um, our logistics and warehousing spans about a half a million square feet primarily in the U.S. Um, and within that, primarily in New York, but shipping globally. Um, in addition to that, we, we manage you know, distribution to approximately 70,000 points of sale throughout the U.S. Um, and North America, in addition to about 100 different marketplaces globally. So you talk about supply chain and logistics kind of getting crammed. We're seeing it anywhere from you know, brands that we're developing and, and, and missing launches as a result of it uh, to fast moving SKUs and inventory challenges around global demand. Um, so, yeah, we work with a lot of our a lot of our clients are anywhere from a beauty startup who might be actually incubating their brand in the first 12 months of their brand up to the multinationals, uh, the L'Oreal's, Estee Lauder's, um, Unilever, Puig, Cody, you name it. Um, so that's us. Rensley, what's been the kind of overall impacts of COVID on your business? I know it has, you know, on the supply side at least, has slowed down things, created congestion at the ports, uh, difficulties sourcing containers. I'm sure you've had difficulty importing things, but has there been any changes on the demand side? Have you guys seen, uh, you know, an influx of, of e-commerce as, as did many other categories or what has the demand change been from COVID? Yeah, I think the demand the, the demand has shifted subcategory. You know, you know, obviously categories like like makeup last year were probably not going to live very well in the Zoom economy, right? 
But it, rather than uh, an increase or a decrease in share of wallet, I think the consumer was spending more in a direct-to-consumer way. Um, we saw a lot of that share of wallet go towards the Amazon platforms, where we do approximately $400 million globally on the Amazon platforms throughout the world. Um, so we've been watching the ebbs and flows of which categories are trending which way. And then secondarily, how each one of those are being pressured by some of this you know, backup or congestion, if you will, uh, and how to be able to accurately forecast and plan for not only the next six to three months, but also the next six months uh, and not tying up too much of that cash flow into, into inventory. So, Ransley, I have a quick question kind of talking into differentiating and in different segments. Like you said, makeup may not really be aging so well or living so well in the Zoom economy. Can you talk about some of the differentiations in certain aspects of beauty? So I can only imagine maybe there's some shakeups and things like fragrances, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of business behind being able to get out there into certain stores, sample certain products, certain niche fragrances, things like that. Do you see that also being impacted or are there any other segments within beauty that have maybe suffered or uh, really slowed down or maybe even grown since COVID? Yes, yeah, this, this is a good question, Anthony. We, again, going back to sort of the, 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 the transition of wallet share, uh, let's talk about fragrance for a second. Obviously, not a lot of people were wearing personal fragrance, but a lot of people transitioned to home fragrance in the last 18 months as people were nesting a little bit more. Uh, the idea to be able to go into stores and actually sample product, whether or not that's makeup on your face or eyeliner um, um, or personal fragrance, a lot of that has shifted. I think the PCA group is a little bit well positioned because of the fact that we have probably about 800 different beauty advisors that are roaming around somewhere in the country in store doing it in a safe way, being able to not only educate the trainers themselves in the store, but also be able to interact with the consumers in a safe way and continue to, to you know, give them that in-store experience while also kind of shifting towards this direct-to-consumer or replenishment economy. And so let's talk about some of these kind of big themes going on in uh, beauty retail supply chain or just beauty retail in general. One is the shop and shops. We've seen uh, Target and Ulta launch a couple, and I think they've even uh, boosted what their original plan was going to be. Sephora and uh, and Kohl's have teamed up as well to do some shop and shops. What do you make about this trend? Do you w- which of these two tie ups do you like more, and do you see more of them going forward? Yeah, I quite like these. I mean, anytime that you have the opportunity to be able to expand your consumer base or change the demographic of your consumer base, I quite like it for these retailers, particularly as, you know, they're up against this e-commerce trend and they're up against Amazon, et cetera, um, that we've been facing here in the U.S., maybe more so than any uh, other parts of the world where the direct-to-consumer economy is, is, is a different stages of life cycle. So when talking about, you know, a Sephora going into Kohl's or Ulta and Target, um, you know, Retailers like Kohl's have been trying to go younger. They've been trying to introduce beauty for the last few years. I think that uh, um, Sephora allows for them to do both of those things in, in a very vibrant kind of way. Similarly, you know, you think about the tie-up or the, the the marriage with Ulta and Target. You know, with Ulta being being slightly more um, omni-category than Sephora is, and 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 equally being in hair, like skincare uh, and color cosmetics, uh, and sort of being more democratic in the locations that they have around the country, similar to Target. Marrying that to Target, who might be one of the most innovative beauty retailers of late, with a lot of Gen Z and millennial brands and in-house brands being being designed for that retailer, I actually quite like that tie-up quite a bit. 
let's talk a little bit more about Target uh, and not not just Target, but private brands, because that's something you you know you spoke about. This is one of the big ways that these retailers are trying to be innovative and trying to make new connections with a younger audience or just with new audiences in general. That's launching their own brands. I mean, every retailer seems to be doing it these days. Um, you know, what what, is, what do you make of this, and how does PCA play into helping um, these companies launch these brands? Yeah, I, I quite like this. You know, one of the things that we've been watching for a few years here not only is the proliferation of how many in-house brands are being are being created. A lot of that based on data trends, et cetera. But then you sort of look at this social, uh, you know, Instagram and TikTok, and and the consumer shifts or the consumer desires are just shifting faster. What used to be a 10-year, you know, sort of arc or life cycle then became five. Now I think it might be one to three years. Um, I, I think one way that, that PCA does it quite well and, and is able to either uh, um, maximize or assist some of our partner brands is the fact that we have this more is more philosophy. Um, and, and part of that is the process that we've created from, from inception or incubation of a brand and being able to lean on us to be able to help give them infrastructure, give them leverage, call on some of these retailers that have given them validation, tap into our marketing resources to be able to sort of introduce them to their first consumers and being able to measure ROI um, as they spend it and sort of determine who their consumer set is. All the way up then to, you know, these large multinationals, like I mentioned, or somebody like a Target and Maesa Group, who I think are doing a fantastic job creating hair brands on their own and being able to leverage our platform from saying, okay, we're doing this brand quite well in this geography, in this channel, but where does growth come from? And that's something that they've, that, you know, a couple of the Target brands have actually called on us to be able to introduce them to a global market a global consumer, and they're able to use our infrastructure uh, to be able to expand out of what, what is working well for them into where they hope to be next. So, Ransley, can you talk a little bit more? I think you, you touched on it on really being able to target their different demographics, but as more and more brands enter this space, can you talk to the strategy or, or differentiation around that? Because I can only imagine as more brands, more players into the market, that's going to be that much more difficult to kind of put your product or put your brand in the right demographic, but also now you have so much more competition. Can you talk to a little bit about differentiation and what some of those strategies might be? Yeah, this is such a good question, Anthony. I mean, you know, we, we live in a beauty world right now where it's hard to believe that we need a different kind of skincare brand or a different kind of hair, hair brand. Um, we call it, we call it the reason for being, uh, you know, as these brands are being introduced, making sure that they have some sort of unique selling proposition or value proposition to the consumer, uh, you've seen sort of ingredient stories become then social stories. And now I think that there's a lot of uh, a lot of messaging around building a community and getting sort of this millennial or Gen Z uh, consumer rallied around something bigger than the product that they're buy buying. I think Glossier was probably one of the, the best early examples of this. You know, what, what we try to be able to work on brands with our with our 45-person marketing team is how to be able to find that seam and then how to be able to use the leverage or the platform that we have to validate it. And so that might mean, you know, doing a lot of test marketing throughout different parts of the country because the U.S. has so many different types of archetypes of, of consumer profiles, both psychographically and then also geographically. But then also there's a big piece of validation or trust that's built as a result of getting on the shelves of a Target, an Ulta, a Sephora. Uh, and, you know, these retailers are really 
there's a lot of a, a lot of compression happening with these retailers and the brands that they are willing to be able to sort of trial but being able to go through a platform like the PCA group and, and sort of the breadth and the depth of assortment that we have and the long view that we're able to be able to take with our partners uh, through us, they're able to secure a lot more shelf space that then adds the validation to the consumer that this is a brand that you can trust. And oh, by the way, whether or not it's on Amazon, on your own website or at the local store um, to buy it IRL, uh, it, it'll be there for you. Rensley, why are these um, beauty retailers, you know, less likely to trial now than they may have been, you know, in the past? Is there any reason in particular why they are less likely to trial new companies? Yeah, I think it's the same way that, you know, in the last 18 months, it's the same way that you or I probably left consumer discretionary and went into consumer staples, right? We had to be a little bit safer, a little bit smarter with the way that we spent our money because of the instability. Uh, you know, buyers in these department stores or these stores, they're not any different. They need to know that the money that they're spending is going to move off shelf because they're feeling the same compression that you or I might have felt personally in the past 18 months. So I think, uh, you know, tighter, tighter skew assortments are, are are being invested into uh, smarter and then also um, into brands who have global awareness, if not just domestic awareness. So brands that they have a lot more confidence that are going to not only make it to the shelf, which might be constricted because of supply chain issues or financing issues, but then also make it off the shelf because of marketing dollars, because of the fact that you have some global awareness and marketing to be able to put behind it. That makes sense. Ransley, uh, you know, speaking of cutting, cutting skews, that's something we saw food retailers, we saw pretty much every type of retailer over the past 12 months have to do just to make sure that they had enough stuff in stock. Are you seeing your clients begin to open up their product portfolio now? Or are they still kind of focused on those fast moving skews? Yeah, I think th this next this next buying season, which, which we're just about to enter into in beauty as it happens in Q3 and Q1, we're finally being able to see some of these retailers sample new, sample exciting. Uh, so we're definitely seeing uh, some of the retailers um, sort of dip their toe in the water for, for testing or, or retesting some of these newer exciting brands. Uh, but there's definitely still a large portion of the retailers and of their spend budgets that are going into safety. Yeah. Renz, oh, you got some? I have a quick question around, uh, so just kind of talking about pricing pressures, I think that's kind of been a talk across the segment in, in every single industry, it seems like. So, Renzi, I'm, I'm interested on your side, of course, as you have supply chain limitations to get to those final goods, things like that. Can you talk to you a little bit about shrinkflation? So the potential around maybe certain products costing the same, but maybe you're getting a little bit less quantity. So maybe there's a little bit less hydrolonic acid within this certain uh, product or something like that. Can you talk to about some of those challenges around that or are you seeing anything like that hit in the beauty market? It's a good question, Anthony. Um, you know, I, I haven't actually come across too many situations where, you know, maybe a Hyaluron was supposed to be a certain percentage and, and the same brand that put out that certain percentage actually has to back away from that. I think more than anything, and we work with some, some of the multinationals more than anything, and this is actually something we struggle with all summer long right now, is as these supply chains are, um, are, are crunched or, or delayed a bit, you know, from a marketing standpoint, we're actually having to do a lot of start stops uh, from the perspective of 
you know, these campaigns are, are, are running and need multi-weeks, multi-months to be able to run. And when we actually go out of stock with some of our fast movers and we can't replenish them, then all of a sudden these algorithms stop giving us credit for what we already had in motion. And so one thing that we try to do at the PCA group, because of the fact that we have the platform and the financial wherewithal to be able to do it, which some of our clients can't from a planning or forecasting standpoint, is that whether it's a licensed brand of ours, whether it's an in-house brand that we're creating or a distribution brand of ours domestically or globally, we're actually over-inventorying our position to be able to make sure that our margins aren't squeezed uh, because of the fact that container ships are you know, four to eight times what they should be costing in a normal, in a normal environment. Um, uh, and, and that also we can stay in stock, uh, and quite frankly, so that the brand can stay in stock because the momentum around the U S market is necessary to be able to cut through the noise, which is something you referenced earlier. I think that's true. I mean, you look at any of the major retailers, Walmart, Home Depot, uh, Target, Lowe's, they've all built inventories pretty significantly in Q2 in planning for a big Q3 and into, uh, into the holiday season. Bransley, let's finish up with kind of this last topic here that the, the the title topic uh, of the day. And this is kind of, you guys work with a lot of brands that are in many channels, but you work with some brands that are just on Amazon. Talk to me about this, uh, this kind of no man's land that new brands get into where they kind of outgrow their coverage. They outkick their coverage on Amazon and kind of need someone like PCA Group to step in. What are the challenges there? What happens and, and how do you help? Yeah, this is a good one. Uh, you know, we see a lot of brands that are coming to us because of the fact that, you know, in some situations they don't know how to play with Amazon and they want to. In other situations, they're on Amazon, whether they like it or not, and they're being underrepresented by the number of resellers who are on there. Uh, and, and then finally, and I think this is what you're alluding to, Andrew, is that you know there's there's some situations where there's a 3P vendor or sometimes even a 1P vendor who, who is trying to be able to use FBA. And as of May, as of this year, as I'm sure that you know, there's a big reduction carrying inventory that, in these FBA warehouses. So all of a sudden, these brands are not able to run the promotions that they want. They're not able to over inventory anywhere past six weeks. Uh, the, the historical algorithm isn't going to give them credit for the promotion that they want to run for the next three months. And so all of a sudden growth is sort of capped at the, at the sort of the strength of Amazon. This is where they will actually be calling us. And I probably get into one to three of these conversations a week with the brand where the inventory restrictions or limits is holding them back. And we then start looking at a creative solution where we are actually able to do a 1P, 2P and 3P relationship all at once, sort of giving the control, but also giving the volume um, through Amazon. And that's, that's really based on the fact that we've been working with Amazon for over 10 years. And we have a relationship that I think far exceeds any single brand's relationship. And so to be able to get that, 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 that sort of next level unlock with Amazon that might already be in motion, and then be able to tap into some of the global markets or, or tangential, you know, fringe markets for them to be able to continue with that growth is a big reason why they call us. Yeah, there seems to be a bunch of benefits for beauty brands coming to PCA. Ransley, if any uh, brand out there in the audience is looking to find out more information or looking to get in touch with you, where should we send them? Yeah, the website, the PCACompanies.com. Uh, we're just here in New York. Um, and, you know, we, we welcome brands from incubation all the way up to multinationally sized. All right, Ransley, thanks so much for taking the time today. Thank you, guys. Nice being here. We'll talk Thank soon. You. Thanks so much. All right. Well, I learned a lot there. Um, yeah. I mean, there's, I wanted to, we didn't even get through everything. I wanted to talk to him about kind of running a warehouse. I thought that, you know, beauty brands are, there's so many different sizes and different shapes and different weights. And I thought that this is kind of a, a difficult thing to automate. Uh, yeah. It might be a kind of a, a very human intense uh, warehouse process, but 
We'll definitely have Ransley back uh, yeah, in the coming months. Definitely along the lines of the, that warehouse aspect of it. I mean, looking at how long certain things can stay in stock. I mean, yeah, are they perishable? Like yeah. I don't really know with beauty with beauty brands uh, or not. All right, let's. Uh, we got five minutes. Let's run through you care or nah. Uh, first one I saw this morning that IKEA. They are the latest to jump in the resale game. They are launching a pilot to basically rebuy stuff that you bought from IKEA, and then they're going to put it out in their showroom as is. You come back, and other people can buy it in a resale program, what do you think? You care or not? So is this them selling the floor model or like this was previously owned by someone? So else? they, uh, somebody came to Ikea, they yeah. bought or bought it online, they put it together at their house, they used it for X amount of time and then they have taken it back to <laughs> Ikea and sold it to them. So this is hilarious to me because whenever I put something together from Ikea, I'm lucky it's that always it's standing. Short, short, short on bolts, yeah. uh, short on something, yeah. I I'm lucky that it's standing, like it's great stuff. I love it, Ikea, I'm a big fan but I'm not good at putting things together. So if I'm buying something secondhand, I have to trust that that person was better than me because when I put it together, there's going to be some duct tape in the back. <laughs> there's going to be a couple things, a little bit, not quite the instructions said. So I, I, I'm interested to see this one, but this is going to be a pass for me just because I know my capabilities and I know there are people that are maybe in the same boat as me. Well, I'm a, I'm a huge fan, as, as anyone that reads um, reads Point of Sale knows, that I'm a huge fan of resale markets. I've, yeah. been, I've been calling for months that Peloton needs to launch their own with this whole recall. Um, I think that Nike should launch their own as well. I think anybody with a you know an up brand, um, a brand that we look at and think of as quality, that's maybe just, maybe we look at the product, we think that's, that's just a little bit out of the price range. I would be willing yeah. to pay for that. But that's not what I think when I go to Ikea. I think you're paying for bottom dollar, um, furniture that's not supposed to last a lifetime. Like it's supposed to get you through to the next three to five years. So I question whether they sell nice enough, sturdy enough stuff. I'm kind of in the boat with you um, to, to do this. But uh, on, on, the, on the other side, like I also see it as it could be a good move up market for them to start selling nicer stuff and yeah. just say, hey, you can, you, can, you can buy this stuff from us and get this credit from us in three to five years when you're looking to upgrade. This is something that Walmart's doing with ThreadUp. They're trying to sell you know nicer brands on, uh, on resale market on walmart.com to kind of go up market there. So I could see it there, but I have a lot of questions here about this one. Um, I just don't think they sell sturdy enough stuff for, for multiple well, owners. I know it's not going to be sturdy when I put it together. So I, I blame myself as the problem. Like I said, I love Ikea. It's got me through so many times because it's easy to put together for the most part. And they always I'm have just, something that you yeah, can use. Right? I love it. All right, let's uh, do a quick one here. We got uh, Amazon and Affirm. Okay, we've been talking about these buy now, pay later companies the last several weeks. The big one kind of broke last night. Uh, Amazon has partnered with Affirm to bring buy now, pay later to Amazon for purchases over $50. Anthony, you care or not? I care because everyone's using Amazon. Everyone's going to use Amazon. Amazon is ingrained in my cell phone. If mm -hmm. I'm surprised it's not preloaded whenever I get a new phone, to be honest. But when I'm looking at this, this is going to be one of those areas where I'm a little bit concerned for the U.S. consumer because already not always going to be in the best place financially. And yeah. this is going to be one of those add-ons of kind of overextending myself because when I'm looking at people looking at their credit card rates or, or limits, maybe I can just kind of slightly overextend myself a little bit more because those Amazon purchases can start to sneak up on you. And this is another one of those ones where I'm thinking it's going to add to maybe slight over extension for certain consumers. So I care about this one. I'm a little bit worried about it as well. I care as well. And like I said, when we were talking about Afterpay, when Square bought them a few weeks ago, I said that I think people use this not even knowing they're taking on debt. It is, yeah. it is that simple. I mean, it is, it is as easy as click affirm, boom, done. Like two clicks and you don't even know you're taking on debt. It's, yeah. it's that simple. But those interest rates are nutty after six months. 
This is Amazon's first buy now, pay later company. I want to say that Affirm stock is up 47% pre-market the day after this was announced. Um, But Affirm, there's there's something here with Affirm because they've now got Amazon, they've got Walmart, they've got Target, they've got Peloton, they've got a lot of the big retailers. So they've they've got good tech uh, for sure. Uh, All right, we're going to skip number three. We'll go to this last one. I found this kind of kind of interesting, uh, kind of noteworthy here. So Home Depot has created a new way that they're going to try to deter theft. And this is they're, they're stalking their power tools and they will not function unless they first are activated via Bluetooth at checkout, according to Business Insider. The tactic will allow Home Depot to continue selling the products without locking them. Basically, they're going to take them out from these, those big orange lockers and the kind of jail bars they had on them. Uh, they think that that kind of negatively impacted the legitimate shopping experience. Anthony, you care or not? Or actually, just do you think that this will work or not? Maybe. So when I first hear this, when you explain this to me, it, it kind of takes me back to like an AT&T or Verizon store. Like I can kind of play with the cell phone and get it in my hand. I'm like, all right, this is how it feels. This is the actual size of it. Maybe that's the same. I'm, as you heard from the IKEA one, I'm not that handy. So <laughs> whether or not I can hold a bandsaw, if a bandsaw is holdable, isn't going to make a big difference for me. <laughs> but being able to, I think if I can relate it to a cell phone, that makes sense to me. So I care about this. I find it interesting. Yeah, I find it interesting. I don't know if it's going to work. Like, I, I don't know. It, it's interesting, I guess. I, I, I don't find the, um, the fact that it's locked up like all that much of a deterrent yeah. from purchasing it. Like, if you're going in there to spend $500 on a power saw, I think you'll be okay calling the associate over to unlock it. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. So I'm a little bit, little bit questioning this one from Home Depot which is weird because they do a lot of things good. But we'll be, we'll be keeping up with that. All right, that's been it for episode 84 of Great Quarter, guys. We're going to be back next week, uh, next Tuesday, same time, 3 o'clock. Again, if you listen to live, thanks so much for joining us here on FreightWaves TV or FreightWaves LinkedIn. If you're listening on demand on Spotify or LinkedIn, go ahead and subscribe. I know you liked what you heard today. And go ahead and subscribe to FreightCast as well. That's where you can get everything from FreightWaves on one tidy feed. He's Anthony Smith. I'm Andrew Cox. We'll see you next week.